Welcome to The Plants We Eat, an investigation of the history, culture, and science behind the plants that we use for food. My name is Jeff Gilman, and I'm the director of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens and a plant history enthusiast. I'm Cindy Proctor, part-time instructor at CP Community College in Charlotte and a landscape plant enthusiast. And once again, the the, the lead line. It's, it's just to see the expression on your face. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> All right. Yes. <laughs> so today, one of my absolute favorites. To eat? To eat, yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you like bananas? They're okay. Only okay? Yeah. Bananas foster? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Banana see, there splits, you, you know. Right. So just now, not, just not a straight banana. So, are you a banana person or a plantain person? Uh, both. Okay. Plantains, of course, if they have to be cooked. Okay. Plantains and bananas, very, very closely related. In fact, as far as scientists are concerned, there's really not much of a difference. Banana's going to be a little bit higher in sugar. Uh, plantain's going to be a little bit higher in starch. Uh, one thing that I like to do with them, have you ever grilled bananas? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love too. So it, we grow these at the at the botanical gardens, mm-hmm. and we have one inside that's actually variegated, oh, and really? the fruit and the fruit itself is variegated. No, it's not. It is, and I have grilled the variegated bananas. <gasps> they are amazing. I have so, to you visit know. your greenhouse more often. You really? Do. I just like the gardens. The you need to stop by. So you know, as with everything that we have on this show, bananas are an absolutely fascinating fruit. <laughs> Uh, bananas have been used for about ten thousand years. They're they're more closely related to um, to grass than they are to most fruits we we think of. Mm-hmm. There uh, there are about seventy species. Most of the bananas that we eat come from two species. In fact, I say most. Uh, if you're living in the in the U.S., it's got to be pretty much uh, pretty much all. So, I'm going to explain a little bit about how bananas came to be. It's this is a long story. Uh, and it's kind of sciencey, so I'm giving you a warning from the beginning that it's sciencey. As many of you have probably noticed, bananas don't have seeds. Now, in the wild, this is a bad situation because if the bananas don't have seeds, how do they reproduce? Well, the bananas that we eat are a dead end. They have to be reproduced vegetatively. In other words, not to go into too many specifics, but they have to be reproduced basically from cuttings or a a type rhizomes. Of or rhizomes. That's actually the way it's done. Right. That's actually the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, monocotta grass actually can't be done by cuttings, at least not in the, shouldn't say can't be, but usually isn't Difficult. done by, right. Usually isn't done through cuttings in the classic sense. Don't worry about that. All right. So we have these seedless bananas, seedless bananas called parthenocarpic. We have parthenocarpic fruit. Okay. So how do we get this seedless banana? That's a, that's a, that's an issue. We get it by making a, and here's, here comes a sciencey piece, we get it by making a triploid banana. For you science types, you may know what a triploid is. Good. <laughs> the next three minutes, you probably don't need to listen to. If you don't know what a triploid is, let's talk about it a little bit. So, when a male and a female, when a man and a woman have a baby, half of the genes come from the man and half come from the woman. Okay? You with me so far? Good. Barely. Barely. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Half, half come from the man, half from the, the same thing happens in a plant. Half comes from the male part of the plant, half come from the female uh, part of the plant, and they combine, and the recombining makes a whole. These are called diploid. Okay? A regular man or regular woman is diploid, and you can split their genome in half and then recombine to get a diploid again. 
Makes sense? Yes. Two diploids, split them in half, recombine, new diploid. No problem. That new diploid can reproduce. What happens sometimes, every once in a while, is that a male, and this isn't so much with humans, but this does happen in plants quite a bit, the male plant will not split. And the sperm, and plants do have sperm within the pollen, the sperm will actually be diploid because it didn't split properly. This is just a genetic mutation. It happens sometimes. So you have a sperm with twice the number of chromosomes it normally does, and then the female doesn't split either, and you have diploid too. And these two groups of two come together, and you have something called tetraploid. Tetraploid plants live absolutely normally. In fact, you can get a new species this way, uh, or at least a new uh, cultivar. These are called, again, these are tetraploids. And basically, these tetraploids, which have four times the number of normal chromosomes, when they mate, they split in half, okay? So you have two diploids now, a diploid in the sperm and a diploid in the egg, and these combine, and you have a tetraploid offspring. Tetraploids tend to have bigger leaves, bigger flowers. They're actually quite coveted in the horticultural industry. Daylily. Daylilies. Tetraploid daylilies are bigger, bigger leaves, bigger flowers, generally considered more beautiful. All right, so here's the thing. You've made a tetraploid, and you have your normal diploid. Let's say that that diploid produces a sperm, and the tetraploid produces an egg. Well then, when these combine, and these can combine, you get a triploid. The triploid will have a, a number of chromosomes that is odd, okay? And because it's odd, it can't be split in half. And because it can't be split in half, the triploid will never produce proper seeds. That's how we get seedless watermelons. That's how we get seedless bananas. You did a great job. Well, I... You're not I, finished, I, I can uh, tell. No, I'm, I'm, I actually am done. It okay. gets... It gets it, I've tried to explain it simply. Um, look this up. It's a really, really neat concept. And it's really, really important for our, for our horticultural crops. So here's the thing. Most of our modern bananas... So I'm going to come a little bit away from sciency now, a little bit less sciency. Most of our modern bananas come from two species, but they come from the wild. They haven't been purposely bred. So even the seedless bananas we found, these have come from the wild. All right, now here's, here's the thing. The two species are, and I'm going to, I don't usually like to give you guys species because I know it gets confusing. I'm going to give them anyway. Musa acuminata. All right, that's species one. We're going to call it species A. This is actually the way they do it in banana okay. research. Okay. So species A. Then the second species is Musa balbiciana. And with a B, we can call it species B. So we have species A and species B. Okay. Okay. Now, both of these species normally produce seeds, and they're more or less edible. Um, species B actually isn't considered as edible because it has a lot of seeds in it and it's tough to get the pulp. But basically, neither of them is poisonous. Put it that way. And as a survival food, either of them will do. So when we have a triploid, we have three different uh, genes, okay, that could come from species A or from species B. Here's the interesting thing. You can have AAA. In other words, basically everything comes from species A. Mm -hmm. If it's AAA, it's almost always a, I should say, more, more likely. I shouldn't say almost always. I should say more likely a dessert-type banana, a sweet banana, okay. like what we normally eat. But there's also bananas that are, for example, AAB. 
And with AAB, it's more likely, although not necessarily, but it's more likely a plantain-type banana, um, a starchy banana that you might use on the grill. And if you're thinking AAA, AAB, well, think of humans. XX, you know, two female genes, XY, female and a male. Um, not exactly, not exactly the same, but you can think of it in that way that it, it gets these three uh, genes from their from the background. So now. The bananas that we eat today are almost all of one type of banana. They're almost all Cavendish bananas, which are AAA group bananas. Only uh, only 100 years ago, Cavendish bananas were not the most common bananas. The most common bananas 100 years ago were called Gross Michael bananas, and those are also AAA bananas. Okay, now. Gross Michael bananas are known as an extremely flavorful banana, maybe the best banana you ever ate, actually. But uh, we actually lost those bananas. They're still around in, in certain spots, but it's very difficult to get those bananas because of something known as Panama disease. Panama disease is, uh, is a plant disease. If you know your plant disease, it's a fusarium wilt. If you don't know your plant diseases, don't worry. It's a bacteria <laughs> which, can, which can absolutely annihilate a crop. And this disease hit uh, this gross Michael banana so hard that basically over the course of a few years, we lost many, many of our, of our bananas, the, the gross Michaels, which were then replaced by the Cavendish. In fact, you know the song, Yes, We Have No Bananas? <laughs> no. You don't know that song? No. All right, I'm going to sing you a bar oh, no. because I know you want. Yes, we have no bananas. We have no bananas today. You've never heard that? <laughs> yes, I think. Okay, you're, you're, there you go. In the 1920s, that song came out, and it was that song was actually about the Gross Michael shortage that we had because of the Panama disease. <laughs> Cavendish bananas are now the popular banana, but Cavendish bananas are actually also now succumbing to some extent to a different strain of Panama disease, so we may lose the Cavendish bananas. Uh, and you know, I read I read about this in a uh, in an article a few years ago, and thought this is really scary. But then, as as I've learned more and more, I'm actually not as scared. There's a tremendous amount of diversity in in bananas, and I'm convinced that if we lose Cavendish bananas, something else will come along. Will it taste the same? Probably not, but something else will come along. Oh, I did want to point out the reason, and this is really interesting. The reason that Gross Michael was known as better than the Cavendish banana. The reason that it was the dominant banana a hundred years ago, and the reason it was the dominant banana was because have you ever had, have you ever smelled banana flavoring? You know how strong that flavoring yes. is? Well, that is a, that compound is isomeal acetate, mm -hmm. okay? Isomeal acetate is basically banana flavor, banana fragrance, and uh, Gross Michael is actually known as having an incredibly high content of of that compound much more than Cavendish, so they had Gross Michael was even more banana ish than the bananas we have today in terms of flavor. Now, over the years, bananas have had all kinds of things attributed to them. One thing you'll see is that you can poison yourself with bananas. You've probably seen that bananas do have tremendously high levels of potassium. Yes. Okay, so. There are people who say that you can eat enough bananas to kill yourself. And I, this was really interesting. So I actually looked it up trying to find a paper on this. And yes, you can eat enough bananas to kill yourself through what, potassium poisoning. Many? 40 at one time. I read that somebody ate 80. Well, see, they should have potassium poisoning. 
Okay, well, they didn't talk about that, but it was the, a contest. The, it was a what? It was contest. A contest. They might have they might have processed them before they got all. That's right. <laughs> they might have puked them up. I know, right? <laughs> anyway, supposedly, uh, maybe not, but supposedly, forty bananas would have sufficient potassium. Okay. Um, now, this aside, I you know I went to college once, believe it or not, <laughs> and uh, and when I went to college, I, I was fascinated by um, different uh, things. Let's just say. And one of the things I was fascinated by was uh, was a report that you could actually smoke banana to uh, to get a high. <laughs> have you heard of smoking banana peels? In fact, I think Dead Milkman have a song, "Smoking Banana Peels." Okay, Cindy doesn't know, Josh doesn't know. Uh, I forget if it was Dead Milkman, but I know there is a song out there about smoking banana peels. Uh, I have uh, smoked banana peels. You have? Uh, yes, of course. Well, they have a lot of oils in them. They do have a lot of oils, um, but. The the interesting thing is this this is actually a myth. Okay, but but let me. But this you is tried just, it out anyway. I tried it out because I didn't realize it was a myth at the time. We didn't have the internet back because I was in college and <laughs> I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> me neither. <you> know? <laughs> the, um, the great uh, it was it was called a great banana hoax, and it took place back in uh, 1967 when uh, somebody wrote in, there were a bunch of hippie papers in the 60s, and basically there's a, there a hippie paper in Berkeley, you know, where else, which said that if you smoke a banana peel, you'll get high. Uh, the process is very simple. You peel a banana, you scrape off the insides, you uh, dry it out over time in the oven, then you roll it up and, and smoke it. You know, very, very simple. And uh, now I want to look at the composition of the peel. Well, that's the thing. They have, since that time, they actually uh, did studies on this, and they do know that banana peels actually have both serotonin and norepinephrine, oh. which are, you know, active in the brain. But uh, though those are related to hallucinogens like LSD, there isn't nearly enough to get high. And I mean, I can tell you, I didn't actually smoke that much of it, but uh, there was, uh, you know, all I felt was a little sick to my stomach, to yeah, be perfectly honest. The visual honest. Is, is quite amusing. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the, funny th the funny thing to me was, um, what if this stuff did make you high? Would they have made bananas illegal? Oh, that's an interesting question. Isn't that an interesting question? Anyway. Uh, Do you know how many bananas the world eats a year? No, but I'm going to rely on you for that information. A hundred billion. Are you serious? Yes. You know, the interesting thing to me is they talk about, so one thing that I did find, uh, which I kind of already knew, is if we look uh, outside of Asia um, and uh, some areas in the Pacific, basically we eat 98% of our intake is one type of banana, and that's Cavendish. Mm -hmm. But then when you go into Asia and these uh, Pacific Islands and such, and Australia, you're, you're suddenly looking at this incredible diversity um, that, well, that people can... Don't you think it has to do with the import-export? Oh, of course. Because yeah. here in the United States, uh, Hawaii is the only state that grows bananas commercially, mm -hmm. and then the rest are imported from uh, Latin America. Mm -hmm. But so. now, does, does Florida have any production? No, they... It, no appreciable it, production. No, no, yeah. not commercially. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, I thought that was interesting, Hawaii, because it's a it, you need a lot of space to grow mm -hmm. bananas. Yeah, they're not a they're not an intensive crop there. Now, would you grow a banana at home for the fruit or for um, the foliage? Well, here in Charlotte, um, bananas are actually reasonably uh, popular as as an ornamental. We have to have the hardy one, though. Yes, yes, yeah. and it's not. 
it's one of those plant. It's one of the fruits that it's not truly inedible, but you wouldn't want it. No, you don't. It, you're just totally growing it for the foliage. Yeah, but it grows. Exactly. It dies back every year mm-hmm. and comes back. But you know that that um, if you grew a banana for the fruit, mm-hmm. it would produce fruit and the plant would die, and you'd have to rely on future. Uh, plants from ry- the rhizomes that that developed, right? You know, so well. That is how I would want to do it. I would want the hardy banana and buy my bananas from the store. Absolutely. Now, how much further north? We're in Charlotte. Could you go up to Raleigh with those? No. Oh, to the for the yes to grow the hardy banana. Yes. Absolutely. How far north could you? Can I could so, I go to Pennsylvania with those? Yes. Oh, really? Yes. It can okay. handle if mulched. It can handle temperatures to zero. Really? Okay, yes. so Pennsylvania would be about as yes. far. In as the it mountains, would go. I see them a good bit. Okay, here in the North Carolina mountains, um, but yeah, they're they're a beautiful tropical looking plant, mm-hmm. especially if you want that, mm-hmm. you know, feeling in in your garden. But well, I think they're absolutely amazing, and they give they give more of a tropical look. Uh, I mean, they're really and the equivalent. I was going to say well, they're really the equivalent of palms in I know, terms but of palms. Giving. I guess. Well. You can tell I don't care yeah. for palms, but and they're reasonably um, reasonably tolerant of different soils. Yes, they are. They just need a lot of moisture, right? You know, a lot of uh, fertilizer. Mm-hmm. You know, like most monocots do, and, right? Um, They've got to be pushed. They got to be pushed, yeah. right? A lot of moisture, mulch, fertilizer. You're good. If you sun. have a uh, yeah, and sun. If you have a south facing, I, I wouldn't say south facing window, but if you have south facing sunroom, I've seen them do well in a in a yes. pot. And I've seen them develop fruit inside mm-hmm. the house, but yes. if you had, you have to have a lot of sunlight. But it takes a long time. Yeah, yeah. There's also a few species which uh, have interesting red fruits and pink fruits. Yes, there are. There's all kinds of different. It's, I've never uh, tried those. Have you? I, I have not okay. tried them. We have no. We have a few different species um, at the gardens, but I've not. We don't have any of the the red fruited. Okay. Uh, at least not that I've seen. The uh, the variegated one is is our prize. Okay. And that one does very well for us. Okay. All right. This was fun. It was a good one. I like bananas. I do do too. I learned a lot. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to The Plants We Eat. This has been a production of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte Botanical Gardens, along with the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Isle Group. We look forward to talking to you next week.